0: So I essentially now help people optimize their identity for peak performance so they can make shift happen. Maybe you really shouldn't believe in yourself. I'm sorry, but let's be honest, right? Maybe you should believe in your ability to try to do something and then when you accomplish it and you have proof, now I can believe in myself.
1: Hello, my name is Aaron Wexler and welcome to another episode of Within The Game. Let's go, man. Within the Game is all about how to treat your craft and your life like a game so you can stay inspired, have more fun, and ultimately find fulfillment both in and out of your game. And thank you to the fans and listeners of the show. If you'd like to support the show, a great way to do that is to grab a copy of my book, The Inspired Athlete, which is all about... My personal growth, spiritual, and um, athletic journeys all combined into one, I really think it could help a lot of people out there. Also, if you could give the channel a like, subscribe, all those things really do help out, and uh, please support my guests, too. Today's guest, I'm really excited about this one, is the one and only Anthony Trucks. Anthony, thanks so much for being here, man.
0: Oh, thank you for having me, man. Looking forward to a good conversation, see where it goes, and hopefully give something good to the world. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: So Anthony's an international motivational speaker, author, former NFL athlete, American Ninja Warrior on NBC, host of the Awe Shift podcast, author of the Identity Shift book, and, and the founder of the Identity Shift Coaching Program. And your mission is to help people how to make shift happen in their lives. I really love that. Uh, IG is at Anthony Trucks, great YouTube channel at uh at, at Anthony Trucks One website, AnthonyTrucks.com. I really appreciate you being here. And, you know, the first question I like to start all my episodes with is
0: this idea of inspired living. What does that mean to you? The the idea of inspired living, inspired living, man. I, I think this is an approach to the day, you know, an approach that you do things because I, I look at life as a choice. Like every day I have a choice of how I show up, what I do, how I speak, how I talk. And I think to to be active in that in process is kind of an important thing that everybody's active in. So people get up and they just walk through life. It's they go into a fog, the day just roll by. Whereas when I hear inspired living, it goes, I'm actively choosing to live in a way that is uh, either inspiring to other people, which actually gives me the feeling of inspiration, or I'm actively choosing ways to be inspired myself so I live from that space because, if you bring that energy to moments, no matter what the moment is, there's a better chance of it being a better moment. But if you come into life with this kind of like ho hum, uh, it's it's like it's not an accident as to why life isn't great. So I think inspired living means I'm actively choosing to to be the most I can each day.
1: Let's go, man! Right? Enthusiasm, right? That that's what that's kind of what I get from that answer, and I love that, man. And your story is super inspiring. I'd love for you to share your story, <laughs> but before you do, you know, as a former pro athlete. You know, and kind of the kind of the theme of of what I'm all about is this idea of the inspired athlete. So I would love to hear your definition of that. What does the inspired athlete mean to you?
0: Ah, oh, it's a good one. You know, cause who I am now is not who I was when I played, you know? It's not yeah. a bad thing. It's just there's certain So I'm an identity guy and and I I talk about that in my work and a lot of it's anchored to that. And so I do know that there are different expressions of who you are in different phases and places in life, right? So the way I express myself here is different than how I express myself on the football field as a player, as a coach, as a dad, as a husband, right? And so the way that I look at an inspired athlete is it's activating that part of you that needs to play at its absolute best, aggression-wise, attention to detail, no matter what it may be, but you do it from a place of and this is for me as a faith thing. It's like I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing the most I can with what I've given. You know, and so when I'm when I'm playing inspired, I want to make sure I leave it all out there. Cause at some point it will, it will leave. It'll leave your life. The game will end. It ended for me, right? And when it does, you want to make sure you look back on those moments and go, yep, you know what? I'm empty. I gave it what I had to give. And every day, every practice, everything I gave it all. And so I, I think that inspired athletes, one that's inspired to do their best every time they have an opportunity, keyword opportunity to do their thing, whether it's practice or play.
1: Wow. Yes, bro. Yes. And do you think
0: everyone is like, has the capability to tap into that energy? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you do. Hey, you yeah. have to get it your own way though. You know, it's funny though. I've noticed that a lot of people, if they don't do that, there's a fear around doing it because of how people will point out the fact they didn't used to do it. But do will settle in for a second. Because the reality is like a lot of us have it in there. Like, I, I coach my son's youth football team. They're 14 year old kids. And a lot of them, just they're just not dogs. This, this generation is soft, and it's, it's crazy to me. But yeah, I look man. at them as kids, and I go, some of them flip it on a little bit in the game. And I go, we got to practice like that, and some don't know how. And I go, all of you, have you ever been mad enough to yell? And every kid raises their hand. I go, we need that person to come out. And I go, I think I know what's going on. I think part of it is you're worried that if you come out and all of a sudden just go crazy, let that part out, that someone's going to point you and go, why are you acting like that all of a sudden? Right, that, that fear, that judgment of like, well, all of a sudden you're being this crazy athlete. And I go, but I'm telling you guys right now, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. And if somebody points it out, that's not your teammate. And let me know, because I'll say something, right? And so the idea is whenever you come and you you let that part of you out, you tap into something deeper, something grander. So everybody has the capability, but I think some people, they're apprehensive to show it to the world.
1: Wow. Yeah, bro. Uh, that's really cool. I love speaking with, uh, professional athletes or, you know, former professional athletes who have done the work and you, I, I hear you talk a lot about, you know, um, crossing finish lines, right. Yeah. And you're in podcasts, you know, and, and different, um, you know, different shows that you're on and things, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit of your story with my audience, you know, and you could start from the beginning, you know, the whole idea of going through foster care and being adopted and wherever you want to go with that. But like, kind of set it up for the audience so that we can really talk about, you know, how you are, who you are today from
0: where you were. Yeah. I think all of us interestingly have this, uh, this journey. It's our own journey. It's yeah. who we are today. And uh, we'll call it identity level. It's it's based on wiring neurologically and psychologically. All of us, if I ask, Hey, who are you? Each state something. And it's from you having been wired through life. And the way we get wired is just experiences, what you go through, whether you did it intentionally and you push yourself towards a, a goal or everything fell apart, you had to find a way to survive. Those experiences wired you to see certain things, hear certain ways, whatever it is, perceive, optimize, whatever it is. So I I put that as a precursor. As I tell you guys my life, it's my experience that has then wired me to be who I am. And if I want more in life, it's going to take more experiences to wire me for more. Mm -hmm. But I was a kid, three years old, mom didn't want me or my three siblings. So she gave us away the foster care system. Pretty heinous. It wasn't a a very, you know, transparent world back then. It was 1986. You know, it's just, there's nothing going on. Nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors and eventually bounced around to six different houses. I want to say landed at uh, six years old in the family. It's my family. Now I uh, was in that family for eight years before I finally got adopted to 11 years in the system. I was able to beat the odds of, you know, now in my life, 75% of inmates in prisons are former foster kids, half our homeless population, less than 1% of us graduated from college. So statistically I wasn't supposed to do well. And I, I beat a lot of cool odds. The reason is because an adoptive mom was awesome. And I went through this journey of like navigating myself and tried football, was bad at football. Hmm. And, and I had to figure out how to get back on the horse at some point and try to give my all to it and express myself in a way that was unnatural. Wasn't normal to me, but became a great athlete, both athletically, but also mentally. And that was the game changer. I, I had this guttural sense of desire to dominate somebody. And so when I exploded on the field and started doing that, great things happened. Cheers! amazing. I get a college scholarship to go play football at the University of Oregon. Go up there, play football, uh, meet my biological dad, have my son, my sophomore year at my high school, sweetheart. She came up to school with me. Uh, Two years, three years later-ish, I uh, had an opportunity to play in the NFL, got in with the Buccaneers and Redskins and the Steelers. NFL stands for not for long. So I got in, got hurt, tore my shoulder came out, life fell apart. Didn't know who I was without the game of football. And if you've ever woke up one day and you couldn't do what you used to do for years, months, whatever it is, you question who you are. And I had that question. I had no answer. And so I tried to fill my life with things that weren't good for me. Ended up divorced. You know, my wife and I had three kids. It was the custody battles, the craziness. After three years of divorce, uh, my mom passed away. And I kind of had this moment of like, I got to wake up and figure my life out because She's the reason I wasn't a statistic and I wasn't living up to what she had allowed me to become as a man. And in doing so, it put me back into a position of like, I got to go back and do this this, this better work on me. And I did. And then remarried my ex-wife. We have an amazing marriage. We have three kids. My kids do amazing things. I have this great business where I travel and teach what I call the dark work, which is about the work in the dark to win in the light. That is where you do those things that are experiences that wire you for more. And so I essentially now help people optimize their identity for peak performance so they can make shift happen.
1: Hmm. Wow, bro. I love all that. Thank you so much for sharing. There's so much to impact there. I want to actually ask you about the uh, the practice that you had for the Steelers. I yeah. heard you talk about that on another podcast. I was hoping you could share that story real quick with, uh, with the audience here. Yeah, my first practice? Yeah, well, you, you got called to go to the, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers tryout yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you got right into a practice. That's right? a
0: crazy one. Well, yeah, what they do is they bring you out every Tuesday in the NFL is an off day. And so they fly guys out based yeah. on the docket. And if uh, if you get signed off the practice squad, uh, you can go and get picked up somewhere. If you get signed midway, they just they take it to uh, the team. And so there's a guy who was supposed to go because if Monday you didn't get a call, you didn't go anywhere Tuesday and you prepared for the next week. And on Tuesday, you just beat your body up. So physically you were prepared for it. So if you don't get a call by Monday, you ain't going to work until the next week. And so Tuesday comes up, didn't get a call. And I go do a crazy workout. And then I get out of the shower like at four-ish, something like that o'clock. And I got like seven missed calls. And six are numbers from 412 area code. I don't know. Happens to find out later. It's Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And one, my agent, like two maybe for my agent. So I, I call, like, Craig, what's going on? All the Pittsburgh steers. I'm going to fly out for a workout. Oh, Craig, man, it's Tuesday. I just beat my body up. He goes, do you want an effing job? I go, yeah, I want a job. Get in the plane. So I got in a plane, I landed in Pennsylvania, at like six in the morning, which was East coast. I'm from California. So three in the morning, my body's all beat up. I get in the car. One of the guys from the Steelers says, Hey, there's two of you guys out here. One of he you staying when he was going home. And the way it worked out was the guy that they wanted to actually come out. He got signed last minute. So it was, there was no other guys. They needed me. I was the next guy on the, on their list to go look at. So sure enough, I get, you know, brought out there and there's me and this guy going to do our workout. And the guy that that was there was well-rested. He came out of the hotel. Rested, good to go, happened to be my roommate from the 2006 NFL Combine who was drafted in the fifth round. Dude's a monster, bigger, faster, stronger than me. Numerically, he was. And so he walks out of the hotel all rested. I'm half asleep. He gets in the car. Guy tells him, hey, two of you are here. When of you staying when he's going home. Go, the guy looks in the back seat, gets a little, a little giggle, and I go, damn. Like, he already thinks he got it. And in my head, I'm like, he does. I'm beat up. I can't do this. So we go around from hospital to hospital, Checking out your body because you have to make sure you're physically able to be signed. So if they keep you, you can practice, right? You got to be cleared physically. Did all that stuff. I'm falling asleep in the lobbies. I go in the MRI tube. I'm falling asleep and shaking. They got to restart the damn thing, you know. So eventually we get back to the facility six hours later. Well, from when I landed, it's probably like five hours floating around. And the guy goes, hey, just, so you know, your stuff equipment's here, but the workout starts in 20 minutes. So in this moment I'm sitting there going like, I don't got this. Like everybody would be like, this sucks. There's no way I can do this. But in that moment, like I, something snaps. I think God threw a little idea in my head and he goes, hey, if thousands of people that could have been chosen to be here, you were chosen. And I think all of us fail to comprehend the moments in life when, when we've been chosen to be there. And we tell ourselves we can't do it. We beat ourselves up. We are our own worst enemies in our own minds. And we don't actually lean into situations. So what happens is we end up letting these great opportunities bypass us. And I'm thankful in this moment, something woke me up. I go, gosh, like I just, I gotta be great for 20 minutes. I just need to be great for 20 minutes. And so I went out to the field and I just gave everything. I'm talking whatever was left in me from what I not, you know, beat up in the weight room and running around, like I gave it all. And so we walk back and we get in the showers and I come out of the shower and I can't wait to go take a nap, tell my wife that, you know, I'm coming home because I'm, there's no way I got signed. This guy's bigger, faster, stronger. Like I you know, and I walk out, guy stops me, goes, hey, trucks, I need you to get dressed. We're taking you upstairs. We're going to sign you. And I was elated. I'm like, this is amazing. I got, you know, sign, I go upstairs, meet Coach Mike Tomlin, meet the general manager, go down, and get my equipment, go to the locker. I can't wait to take a nap and call it a day, get to the hotel. Guy walks up to the equipment room and goes, here's your helmet, shoulder pads, everything he goes, hey, just, you know, you got to get dressed. Practice starts in an hour because Wednesday practice. And it was like this thing of like holy crap. I remember I went into practice and this guy named Chris Kimoyatu, number sixty eight. He I think when legit was like six four five, like three fifty. Dude was a Samoan house, and there was a play where I you know I had to go in and hit him, and I go in full speed and go and hit him, and I come out full speed under his power. You know, just the dude threw me out. I was I don't know just half asleep doing whatever I you know. It's one of those things where, like, you realize that life's gonna present you with a bunch of moments, and even when you've accomplished it, life asks for more, and your job is to show up and give what you got. And oddly, you oftentimes have way more in you than you thought you had. Wow, dude, that's I I love that
1: story, man, because you were ready. You know, Uh, you were ready for that moment, and um, you
0: know, I don't think I was. I think I wasn't. It's crazy. I don't think I was ready, in in a psychological manner but God knew I was ready. There was more in me than I, I thought I had. So I was, I was more ready than I thought I was, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like deep down inside you, maybe you weren't, you didn't feel ready, but <clears throat> you were prepared for that moment. That's yeah. kind of what I meant, you know? And, yes, and, um, sure. and I think that's relatable to a lot of people, right? Like just, just, you never know what kind of opportunities are going to come. You never know when that, co- that phone call might come, but mm-hmm. if you constantly, you know, in athletics, you always hear this, this term, stay ready. Right, yeah. stay ready yeah. so you never have to get ready, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I think that's really relatable in in moments like that. But I just I just love that story, man, because like you know, talk about you know talk about a dream for a, a you know a, a football player, right? Getting to the NFL. I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing, man. And then <laughs> you know, talk talk a little bit more about like any inspirational stories that that come to mind from the NF, the overall NFL experience. It could be other players, coaches, experiences.
0: Uh... That's a whole lot of them, man. You know, the ones that are usually the good ones are the ones that they start with trash and it sucks. <laughs> so there's one that I I don't tell often. But so when I came my rookie year, I came out, I got signed by the Buccaneers. Coach yeah. John Gruden was the coach. Mm-hmm. And I got there and I was like, you know, a free agent guy coming in trying to fight for a job. And and the the D-coordinator, actually the defensive, the linebacker coach liked me. D-coordinator's got a money kiff, an old school, like Hall of Fame defensive coordinator. Dude's a beast. And so I I remember getting there and I had this situation where like the special teams coach was an asshole. I, he, he didn't like anybody. He didn't like anybody new. And he let you know, he's still out there doing his thing too. I see him around the league every once in a while on TV and I go, nah, you know, and I get it. It's his job. He's got to do it. Hey, no, no ill will there at all. But he was at him. He's like, you got to be a mother effing dog to be with a guy, you know, like this, this thing. And, and he wasn't letting you try. Like it was just this thing. Right. So Discomfort in special teams. I, I had I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't go to training camp or the the OTAs before to learn to play. So I'm just going to training camp, and I don't got uh, an understanding of the playbook. I don't know what's going on. I'm asking teammates how, how the plays are supposed to run, and they're giving me the wrong answers on on purpose. So I would look stupid. So they don't do their job to me, you know. So you got no teammates and no support system there. You got no coaches that are really supporting you except for like your position coach, and even he's you know can only do so much to support and elevate you. You got to know your damn playbook. Um, I'm in Florida. It's hot as hell. Literally, maybe like we had to stop midway through practice to go into a cooling chamber so our bodies wouldn't overheat. One day I lost 13 pounds in practice from sweat just from sweat because you weigh before and after just sweat. So I'm physically uncomfortable. I'm also three hours ahead of my family, so I can't call them. By the time I get up and go to practice, they're still sleeping, right? It's five in the morning. It's eight o'clock to me. And then I get out of practice, right? And so my wife, she's back home doing stuff with the kids. So I get out of practice maybe like two. It's like 11 o'clock. And the kids are in school. She's doing lunch stuff. By the time I can talk to her, like my nighttime, it's like, you know, shoot, six, seven, you know, if that's the case, she's still doing stuff with the kids from school. Like I couldn't even talk to her. So I'm like, gosh, I'm on an island out here. And I legitimately one day, midway through camp, I'm like, I don't want to do this no more. I'm done with this. I'm dead serious. I go, I'm done with this game. And it's four weeks of campish, so I'm like, I'm not doing this no more. I'm done. So I remember I I go downstairs and and I, I there's like a little area in the side of this. It was this hotel in Celebration, Florida, in Orlando. It's where you know the Buccaneers held training camp. So I remember I go downstairs and I go at this corner. I come down and I'm about shoot thirty feet from the room where I can see all the coaches meeting, you know, doing a thing. And I'm going to walk in there and be like, hey, coaches, I'm out of here. Just letting you know I'm done. That's what I'm about to do. I kid you not, thousand percent. I turn the corner and I stop for a second. And I'm looking at him. And I don't even know why I stop. Out of nowhere, this guy named Eric Vance comes walking by. Hey, trucks, what are you doing? Now, Eric Vance is a player personnel guy. His job is to make sure guys like me are taken care. And I go, I'm going home, Eric. goes, what do you mean you're going home? I go, I'm going home. He goes, what you, just come sit down for a little bit. So he goes, sit down, and he goes, what's going on? And I tell him my story. I also, this time of this, this dog tag of a, of a picture of my son that had been on my neck the whole time since I was, you know, in college. And it was like a little, you know, little, little Figaro chain, a little picture of my son etched into it. I'd lost it. So I was like, it just, I felt bad. I'd lost this. And I had this connection to my son and he wasn't there. And just, and I tell him the whole story He goes, when you look in the future and let's say it's, I don't know, 15 years from now, and you start telling your son to work his hardest, go after his dream, and he knows you quit, what are you gonna say to him? Like, oh, geez, like, I go, she's like, yeah, I don't know. And he goes, you I told him most of what I've told you story-wise, he goes, you got you got up through a lot, son. He's like, you got to through a lot of different things of life, he says, you're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, but like, you're supposed to be here, like you've you fought, you've battled, you've fought more than many people. Yeah. So two reasons, one is the place you belong. Like, don't question your, your belonging here. It's going to be hard. It's the highest level in the world for what you're trying to do. He says, and also, you don't want to have that conversation with your son in the future. Stick it out. I had two more weeks of this. I went upstairs with the, you know, got dressed. And I remember looking at the, the, I put uh, on the wall, it was like a a calendar and it was two weeks. And it was the (laughs) longest two weeks of my life, dude. I'm telling you right now, even to this day, there's never been a longer two weeks of my life. Because every moment I didn't want to be there. And I remember, I remember the first, he said this, I go downstairs, I go to practice that day. I'm walking into practice. I don't want to be there. I walk to my locker, hanging on my locker is the necklace with my son's dog tag on it. And it was one of those things where I go, if I quit, I never see that. And I think that, I think for me, like, I guess someone from the the landscaping found it and someone asked what it was. Someone knew it was mine. They'd see me wearing it. It's like thing of like, like God saying like, good, good job. You stayed son. Yeah. You know, like it was kind of a thing for me. And so one of those moments of like, you're going to have those windows where you don't want to be there. I was ready to be like, I'm done, you know? Yeah. But the reality is, is like, you just have to stick it in a little bit, just to stick it out a little bit longer, do a little bit more, put your body in position. And so those two weeks, while I hated them, they hardened me. I, I oddly enough, when you're subjected to difficulty for so long, you some, sometimes you find a way to find a peace in the pain. It sounds so weird to say, but like, by the last game, bro, I was geeked up. I was out there. I was killing people. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like, I buy to stick it in. And I was, I was one of the last guys cut right after the last preseason game. I got cut before the season went with the last five or six guys to go, but it, but it, it reassured me and it re-anchored my desire to play the game. So I needed that moment from Eric Vance. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's, that's really cool.
1: And so, you know, that that's a great little segue to this next thing I want to ask you about, which is this whole idea of identity, you know, and that which is what you're all about. So you've you've identified as a as an athlete for a long time and then you became an NFL player, a pro athlete, you know, and then now it's transformed into this coaching program and author and speaker, you know, talk a little bit about how that identity shift happened
0: for you. Yeah, well, it happens for all of us. Many, it's happened to me many times. I probably We went back one time in my life and I unpacked like 30 different interesting critical moments that could have been a complete different expression of myself and a different trajectory for life. But for me, the first one took place when I was 15 and I wanted to be a great football player and I wasn't. And I remember I had this moment of like, I'm not the guy. I don't do mm-hmm. that, but I want to be great. I tried this thing. I want to be good at it. I wasn't very good at it. And I gave up on it. And then there's this moment these two girls are in a classroom talking to each other. And one says the statement that woke me up. She says, the reason I'm so bad is because I'm in foster care. And for me, it's it's different than everybody else. Everybody else hears that and goes, so? For me, I go, ooh. She said out loud the excuse I've been telling myself as to why I shouldn't have anything great. Wow. And it was an amazing, difficult gift. Unsettled me. I went home, I looked myself, in the people said, aunt, you're going to be great. I don't know what I was going to be great at, but I was like, I'm going to be great. I chose football. So I settled back in. I go, okay, what do great football players do? Because I didn't know the answer, right? And I looked at them as like, they were grateful and they identified as that. They would say, I'm dope. I'm great. I couldn't say that. I didn't, I didn't have the words because it wasn't part of who I was. So I go, oh, if I can't say that, well, what do they do at least? Maybe I'll do what they do, right? So I looked at it. They run routes, lift weights, catch footballs. I didn't do these things, but I started. The first day, it feels weird. Like, what am I doing? I can't catch this football, you know? I don't know how to lift weights. I'm sore. The body hurts. I'm not fast. I don't even know. I don't even have anybody coaching me. It's just me running around at 15 years old, you know? And then I go to school to go lift weights, you know? And even worse, I got teammates go, hey, Trucks, bro, you got Butterfingers. Why are you out there catching footballs, man? Hey, you're skinny, dude. got the weight room, you know? And it was just like, you're navigating these different windows of things. And so what happened was, the first week, it's kind of uncomfortable. Second week, even more fit. You're even still sore. First month goes by. It's like, oh, God, I've been doing it in a month, I guess. Maybe I'll stop. I don't know, 30 days, you know. You get two months, and you're like, gosh, I'm I'm still doing, I guess, a little bit easier. I can more normalize too. It becomes a little rhythm. You still have people making fun of you, trucks. But what are you doing? Stop. You still out here, you idiot, crazy. Third month goes by, they're like, You're really still doing this, huh? Trucks. And I'm still doing it. It becomes more of a normalcy of when to get it done, right? Fourth month comes, it's like, damn, guys, trucks are still getting after. I see you getting a little bigger. Okay, okay, you know. Fifth month comes, hey, truck's back, can I work out with you? Yeah, let's get to work. You know, you build. By seventh month, season comes back around. I get back in the football field. And this is the the most clear moment that I look back at my life and go, that's where it happened for the first time. When I got in the football field, I had this mentality of, I have done too much work in the dark for you to take what's mine in the light. Mm. It was it. It was this thing of like, I did too much to lose in this light and it wasn't about you it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with me. I I knew now I had what it took to be a great football player. It was my football, my tackle, my touchdown. I don't care what's going on. It's mine. And when I had that mentality, man, it was this thing where I, I pulled from a different place. If it was me and you and you beat me on a, a drill. Let's go back. Let's get it back. There ain't no way I'm walking out here with you beating me. There's no way. And I would just keep battling you bring more to it. And it was the first definitive identity shift I'd ever made. I'd shifted from this guy that was, uh, I wasn't much bigger or faster or stronger. I was just meaner. And that equated to more effort that then did make me bigger, faster, stronger, right? Because I showed up differently. But that shift in an internal sense of self created a vastly different external world for me. Mm. And most people are looking for the external world to shape the internal world. And it never works that way. You got to go do things that that you hate. that that are difficult. And it sounds so odd to say it that way, but you have to do something that when you've done it, you know how much you hated it to where because you did it and you hated it, there's no way you're going to let whatever is in the opposition take from you. It will never happen. And so when I started looking at life like that, that's how it came to be. I did it in college, did it in the pros and I had to redo it as an adult. When I, when I got out of the NFL I went into a dark place, man. I wasn't a good husband, wasn't a good father, wasn't a good much of anything. I didn't have that sense of I'm good at that, right? Just like I didn't have the good as a father or as a football player before, I didn't have that same feeling. And I go, I want to have it. And my mind thankfully kicked on and goes, Let's go back to work, man. Yeah. What do you got to do? And I sought out the most difficult, uncomfortable things, intentionally relationship building, physical stuff, business stuff. I just, I, I anything that made my butt pucker, I did on purpose, almost for that purpose. And fast forward a chunk of time, bro, I was a monster. And when I became that monster, things changed. I got different inside and I became a, a positive one. I, I wouldn't say I was like the same athletic monster, right? But I had this sense of self of like, I'm about to get my life back, got my marriage back together. Amazing marriage now. I am I have amazing family. I get to do cool things in the world. But every every moment that I look back at my life that was really, really hard, I, I had either intentionally or unintentionally done this same kind of thing. I did these things that pushed me into a point of going, I don't feel like this is who I am, but I did it so much where I go, it's who I am now. Hmm. And you push. And the more you stack like that, the more you do things. That's why people look at individuals and go, man, they they have that Midas touch. Everything they touch turns to gold. They don't get a Midas touch. They just have repetitions you didn't take. Work in the dark. They, they did this thing. That shifted who they see themselves to be. So while you approach it and go, I don't know if I can, they approach it and go, watch me work. Yeah, it's different. Wow,
1: uh, I think this is fascinating for athletes, right? Because athletes, we a lot of us are defined by our results, right, or, or what other people think or say about us, our yeah. performance, right? It's like this outward thing that we do on the field or on our in our sport, and then we get defined right but when I hear you speak about this identity shift and you speak about this dark work which I want to unpack a little bit more it feels like this this really deep internal work to to define who you are like on your own right regardless of what you do in your performance yeah and that is deep for me because I I completely agree and I love that but I think that's it's just worth talking about more and sharing more of because for me it's like I think one of, you know, I'm a spiritual person. And I think one of the the main questions I ask myself throughout the day, and I started this a couple of years ago is who am I and what am I here for? Right. And that is a great way to, for me to identify my, like to really like get my identity, identify my own identity by answering that question on my own throughout the day Mm -hmm. through like conversations and throughout and specifically through dark work. Right. So, so that's a, gr- a good little segue to asking about
0: you what that means. What is dark work? Okay. Dark work is how you optimize your identity for peak performance in life. Yeah, it's, it's the work in the dark to win in the light. That's it. And when I say optimize your identity, it's not just to be better. It's to have what I call a dominator's identity. And all that means is to govern and to control. Can you govern and control your eating habits? Can you govern and control your training regimen? Can you govern and control your meditation routine? It ain't got to be this overbearing, aggressive thing, but to dominate something means I'm in control. I govern this thing, right? And for a lot of humans, we don't have that. And we don't have that mentality when we show up to what are important, what I call defining moments. The job's on the line, the sales on the line, the the mayor's on the line, you know, the the relationship with my kid is on the line. And in those moments, we don't step forward with this sense of, I got this, like this, I'm anchored, right? And we, we can't all of a sudden have it in that moment because we want it. It's because of what you did well before that moment. So when we're living our lives on a day-to-day basis. We have to be presently aware of everything we're doing is leading to a moment we cannot see right now that will define us in some way. And for me, when I looked at my life, I, I had this good tick of, of always staying in line with who I saw myself to be and then finding a way to get uncomfortable and lean into it. So by the time I got to later on moments in my life, which needed me to have that identity, I thankfully had it. Cause I'd done the hard things. I, I got into a rhythm of that's who I am and what I do. And then life becomes easier. It sounds weird, but like it's what I call effortless effort. I'm giving effort, right? I'm 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 pushing. But for me, because it's it's so normalized, it's almost effortless. It's like if we go into a weight room and there's, you know, a hundred pounds on a bar. Well, for someone who is, you know, they can't lift a hundred pounds, that's incredibly impossible. I can't move that. For someone that can move maybe a hundred pounds for one or two reps, like it's doable, but it's still kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. For someone that can move five hundred pounds, that's a warm up, mm-hmm. right? It's it's effortless effort. It's still exertion, but it's effortless. So the more you stay in the weight room when you get to that challenge of life, you're strong enough for it. So it feels like a hundred pounds, and it's the most they can do for one person. That's my warm up. It's my Tuesday morning. Let's press on. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk
1: a little bit about labels when Mm -hmm. it comes to identity, right? Because all of us have a label or an athlete, a podcaster, an author, a speaker, all these things are a label, but they don't really identify who we really, really are, right? It's just like a label,
0: you know? Well, it's funny is uh, there's actually a statement by a guy named, I think it's Tim Murphy says it's hard to see the label when you're inside the jar. And so we we all have this label. We've we've allowed people to place in us that we hold to. And, and what that label is, is what keeps people safe around us, right? They know who you are. Bob is the guy that does this and doesn't right. do that. So they feel right. safe. Whenever you start acting outside the label, good or bad, people let you know. Oh, are you healthy all of a sudden now, Dan? Oh, look at look at Dan wants to be healthy, right? It's yeah, Dan should be healthy. Why are you making fun of Dan, bro? Leave him alone. Yeah, there's that direction. But then also sometimes we don't even understand the label. We we have a label that is outside that people are afraid to tell us because of the fear of confrontation. But that label is the reason we keep being stuck in a place we're at in life. So these labels are ones that get placed upon you, you live into or you don't live out of. And some of them are ones we're living with every day. and have no idea they exist, but we do all have these functional labels. My goal in life is to go, hey, one, am I open to hearing about the negative label I have and possibly adjusting it because it allows me to keep good people in my life who tell me things that realize I respect them enough to hear them. I don't bite their head off. And then two, the thing is, can I choose my own label and live into that regardless of what somebody else says? Right. I go, I'm, you know, I'm in what I call season of dad right now. That's my, that's my label in the world of what I do. I could be in the road all the time at podcasts, meeting people, masterminds and trips and guys trips. I could do this all day. I got people that do that, right? They don't got kids. And if they do have kids, they ain't close to them like I am because my label, I want people to go, that's a damn good dad. Yeah, That guy's there. Like he's, you know, his kids have him present. I, I'm the coach of teams. I train them. So I'm trying to be home as much as possible. I don't like leaving the house. Now in my world of what I do, people go, that's that's weak, but you can't be so big could make this could do this. And I go, that's great. But I know what I want my label to say. I want it to say damn good dad and a damn good dad isn't gone half the year. So while you may think that I'm not going to let your viewpoint affect mine. And I don't feel bad in any way about it. Cause I know what I want. mine. I chose mine. I live with mine. So regardless of what the world would say it is, this is mine. I love it. And if I, if I'm not in your box, that's cool. It doesn't affect me any it just affects you
1: man this is great let's uh let's unpack that even more right because what you're what you're describing right now is confidence right you got to have the confidence to have to create your own label for yourself yeah. right regardless of what other people are labeling you so i yeah. i heard uh recently on a, your youtube you you kind of shared these like three steps for a little bit more confidence can you like a little? Can you unpack that or share a little bit oh, more of that with that here? I have
0: no idea what I said. I <laughs> well, I just do. what comes to mind now, like when you hear confidence, like, like what? Yeah, I think the first thing is you have to have to accomplish something that makes you feel uh, more powerful. I'm yeah. gonna say that's definitely one of them. I think we have to, we have to really sit back and figure out like what is something that I can go do that when I do it, I go, damn, well done. Look in the mirror, and it may be well below somebody else's thing. You can't do that. You have to be able to say, I'm gonna do something that's incredibly hard for me. And you don't actually, you don't get confidence, you earn it. And it's earned Mm. through you 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 have to do something to earn the confidence. It doesn't just come to you because you wake up and go, I should believe in myself. Like, should you? Maybe you really shouldn't believe in yourself. I'm sorry, but let's be honest, right? Maybe you should believe in your ability to try to do something. And then when you accomplish it and you have proof, now I can believe in myself. Another thing I would say is you got to set your own scale of what success is. I find that for a lot of us, we're borrowing the world's scale of success. And then when we measure ourselves against it, we don't see success. So we feel bad and we rip ourselves of confidence away completely because we just, you know, I didn't do what that guy did. I didn't make a hundred billion dollars. Well, that's just that person's level. Your level is your own level. Find yours. Be confident in that. Because realistically, the world always has more you can get. There are billionaires that are unhappy, you know, they got to have so much more stuff, right? So- I don't think confidence is rooted to what you've done. And then I think the third thing I would say is confidence already exists in you, but the problem is you also don't see yourself in that manner. You you see all the negative and don't give a chance, yourself a chance to see the positive. There's a study done by Dove and Dove had these women come into a room, pairs. One person would describe themselves to a sketch artist. Other person would describe their friend to the same sketch artist. They'd leave the room. They do it separately. They come back. And what they would do is they would turn a picture around. They would show both women, the picture and the picture where the person described themselves was always hideous marks and blemishes and pimples. The person who was describing the other human was always this beautiful image. Wow. And and it was, it was transparently clear that we're really good at seeing our flaws and we don't always see our positives. And so we have in our lives stripped ourselves of the confidence just because of the perspective that we have on ourselves so maybe may go like, oh, I didn't do this and this, but like, no, but you, but you graduated from that. You got that degree. You, you got past that. You got out of that relationship. You, you solved that issue. You made that money. You, you got yourself healthier, whatever it is. You did this thing, but we, we look at ourselves and go, but I didn't do this. Yeah. And that, it, it takes us down a few notches. So off the top of my head, that's, that's what I would frame as some of the areas for confidence. That's great. That's great. Now, these next two
1: things i'd love to hear your perspective on because these are two things that i think are holding a lot of people back including me and I, i've become aware of them more recently mm-hmm. and the two things are self-doubt and fopo fopo being fear of other people's opinions which is big oh, yeah. right now i think on you know the ig world the social media world but yeah, yeah. speak on those things self-doubt
0: and fopo and how do we overcome those things yeah yeah Well, I think if you think about it, the tied together, the self-doubt is usually tied to if I don't do this, what happens? How will people see me, right? right. Right. Now, there's things I doubt I can do. I doubt I'm going to be able to uh, have a Grammy Award winning, you know, song this week, you know, I I doubt I can do that, right? Um, I doubt that I'm going to learn to fly a plane tomorrow. That's that's realistic doubts, right? But I, as a human, do not doubt that I have the capabilities to learn anything. That's Mm -hmm. it. And and I think the learning is the difference because most people step into something and go, they compare themselves to the outcome, not the effort. Yeah. So when you have this doubt, it's it's not, I don't think we need to start it because football for me, I started horribly. It's I learned this lesson so long ago. and I'm thankful I did. I was trash at the game of football. And then all of a sudden the best in the team, the best in the, in the area, I'm getting college scholarship offers. I play in the NFL. That doesn't equate and you go, well, how did it happen? Well, I just I got to the point of being good at doing the thing, just giving the effort towards it. I had I had no fear of of learning and applying and stumbling and applying and and I realized that I was never comparing myself to the outcome. I was comparing myself to did I give that good effort today? Because when I did give the good effort, I went to bed feeling good, and I got up day by day. I stacked chips and stacked chips, and I was I was amazing at this thing, right? So I think a lot of it is we have this this doubt that comes from a comparison to an end place that we shouldn't be in the first place. You shouldn't be there. All you got to do is compare yourself to did you give the effort that day? And then I think the other people's opinions, a couple of things come to mind. One is you have to realize that the opinions that you want are the ones you respect. And some of them will not always be good. And that's a good thing (laughs) because if I have people in my life who are willing to tell me shit that I don't want to hear for my betterment, I need them around and I need to not bite their head off when they tell me this. So Interestingly, when I when I get the opinion from someone I respect, I'm going to open my mind to it and I'm going to hear what they have to say. Now, I will say this, though, just because you get that person's opinion you respect doesn't mean you have to listen to it. Mm. It's just their opinion. My best friend and my wife at one point in time both told me "Dude, chalk up your gym business. It's not going to work. And I kept doing it. Eventually sold it. I go, I want to become a speaker. My best friend goes, That's not a real job. You don't just speak for a living, bro. You're tripping. I go, no, somebody does it. It ain't gonna be you. My, my fiance, or sorry, wife at the same time goes, Don't do it. It's not a real job. I, I can make seven figures a year speaking and coaching by itself, right? And so the idea is like this is a world that that you have to control. Yeah. And so the opinions of the people I love the most at certain times didn't matter. I had to, I had to change their opinion by doing what needed to be done to prove to them they were wrong. And it came from actions and efforts. Again, I fell in love with the efforts of the day. So I didn't have this self-doubt. Like it wasn't even that I had full confidence I would I would make it work. I just knew that the only way to make it work was to do something every day in the direction of it. And so I had this, this thing where I'm moving, but I've never been fearful of the judgment of, of who I am because I've realized that Every time I tried something new, there was always someone who goes, it's not going to work out. You can't do that. It's not for you. And genuinely, it wasn't even always out of malice. It wasn't always some guy in a corner saying, you suck, bro. You ain't going to be nothing, right? It wasn't always that. It was sometimes protecting my my emotions like, Anthony, just get a real job. That's not a real job. You know, you got great skills. You can make six figures. You can get a great retirement. Like, you know, that, that, that statement, that's not good for me. You know, like as much as that sounds good, it's good for some, wasn't good for me. I'd be a horrible employee. Like I would be telling the boss he's doing it wrong every day. And I would outwork the boss and make the boss look bad. He'd fire me because I made him look bad. That's just the way that I function. And so I, the opinions of people, I don't then play a role because I also do this. I extrapolate myself out to my 80s. And I look at people who are 80, 70, 89 years old. And I go, what do they care about? They don't give a shit about nobody. <laughs> By that time, they're doing their own thing. They'll right, fart in the right. public. They're saying what they want to say. And I go, they know something that we need to know earlier in life, which is none of you some bees matter. Now you do, right? But your opinion of me and what it is, I'm not going to know you in 20 years possibly, right? And if I do, then it's hopefully in a better way. But like, I'm not worried about what you think of me. Like it's yeah. long so for me, I have a marriage where I got divorced, remarried my ex-wife, I've been wow. on an amazing podcast uh, that have shown this out to the world and the comments are crazy. Uh, some of them go like, oh, this, as soon as I heard him say, he took back his ex-wife, like I was done. And I go, gosh, it sucks that this, because that could have been one that would eat somebody up. And I go, that sucks for this person. Cause he's never going to fully understand what it takes to make his marriage great when it comes falling apart. Cause they always do. And I said that, yeah, in my head, I could easily frame it as like, gosh, maybe I shouldn't have and feel bad. And I go, I am so confident in what I did and I know how happy and peaceful I am that as opposed to feeling bad about that guy's opinion, I go, you're the idiot. (laughs) Like you could, when you get to a certain point, you've built something, you look future, future wise. And I go, what I wanted was my family to be together, same husband, same wife of my own kids. And I knew that like, it was to be a stock market thing. We're down here right now. I want to be up here. That's going to go up and down a lot on the journey up. It's there's going to be good and bad and good and bad. And I go, if I know I want this, bro, I'm, I'm investing. I'm going to invest and ride this stock to the end. And I didn't care what you thought about it. It doesn't matter to me. And so now I have an incredibly peaceful house. I have a loving marriage, trust, support, everything you can imagine. Man, it's creepy how cool my life is. And I get <laughs> to now show up in the world and do the best I can to give that back to other people.
1: That's really cool that's really cool. Well, since you mentioned it, I was going to ask you about the the trolling and the negative comments. We're living in an age now, especially as a yeah. content creator, right? And I feel like I feel like a lot of people are con- I'd say most people are content creators. If you're on Instagram and Facebook, yeah. you're a content creator, yeah. right? But for for podcasters, right? Like yeah. we do experience some negative negativity sometimes. Um Always how, Yeah, right? How do you deal with that? I know you just mentioned it, but like make I it relatable back. for yeah. Make it relatable for,
0: for I'm a real ass human, man. I will give you some feedback. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. Give, so I do a podcast and and some, so I don't prepare for the podcast like most people do. I like to show up and just talk. I find mm-hmm. that it's more genuine mm-hmm. and nine times out of 10, it's great. There's that 10th time where me and this person, we can't figure out the groove, you know, mm-hmm. and people come on and go, this this podcast is horrible. Maybe you should respect your guests enough to actually do some more research on the, whatever it is. And I go, all right, I can do that and I just leave it alone. And, you know, but I go back and I go, first of all, I don't know you, you don't know me. I don't know them before they get in the podcast, you know, and I'll, I'll let yeah. people know. I go, I go. My, my goal is to have a real conversation, not a prep one that you, that you, I know all the things beforehand. So you're watching a genuine conversation in real time. Nine times out of 10 in humanity, we have great conversations, but every one of us has had a situation where I can't wait to get out of the conversation, right? They're not always gold, but I say, I appreciate the feedback, lets me know how the world sees it. And I do. I, I'll tell yeah, you. That's cool. I had a guy. I do this thing called. It's a program we do called Speak to Freedom, and and I, I a whole business model on how you build a speaking business. And I coach it. I teach. It, there's ninety-something people in there. I love coaching the people I get to coach. And I had some guy go on. Uh, uh was like a comment in one of our ads recently. He goes. Hey, don't be misconstrued by the world out there. The only reason this guy's is successful as is a speaker is because he played in the NFL. And if you didn't play in the NFL, um, what I don't know why he thinks anybody can have, something crazy in my head. This son of I could have deleted it. I could delete, I should have deleted it probably. So I I decided to get on my horse, bro, and right back and I go, first of all, I don't know you, you don't know me. The NFL has nothing to do with why I'm successful. I said a lot of people are great in a lot of different worlds. Mine just happened to be sports. That does not mean I can speak. And you shouldn't compare yourself to everybody else and look for reasons to do poorly. In fact, you, you, as this thing, I said, people, you shouldn't listen to somebody who doesn't believe in themselves so much that this comparison scares them enough to make a comment on an ad. Yeah. Like I put it out there yeah, yeah. and then you wrote back. Well, I wasn't saying that, but you, you'd be wrong to say the NFL isn't a loved brand. I go, you name me five other NFL speakers that are making $25,000 per keynote. And I will succeed this conversation. And didn't even acknowledge it. You said something else in my head. I go, these people are just idiots. Like and what pissed me off the most, it's not even about me. It's, I, like you could say whatever you want to me. It's just the nature of the beast. It's just people are going to talk crap. That's what they do. It's crazy. Yeah. But I go, don't rob somebody else of their dream because you don't see it in yourself. Just because you don't think that you can be successful because you didn't play in the NFL doesn't mean the guy that built this amazing company serving kittens can't. You know, I didn't serve kittens. I can say the same thing. Only reason this guy is good at talking to animals is because he served a bunch of animals. Like, well, of course, you know? But the idea is that you can't diminish the dream for somebody else because you diminished it in your own heart. It's like, you get that. But what I do is I don't let you get away with it. I am very good with words. And I will cut your ass in a whole bunch of different ways without even cussing at you to where you have to (laughs) process the thought and figure a response. And then eventually I just say some off-the-wall stuff. Like, I'll just... (laughs) People hate this when I go, I think it's time for you to take a nap. It's past your bedtime. I just leave it at that. And people go, what does that mean? And it doesn't mean anything. It just means the, the most off the wall thing that people go, they can't place it. They get frustrated they, and I don't respond. I don't tell them what it means. It, it means nothing, but it throws them so far. That they're like, I got to be an idiot. I'm not an idiot. And they, they get stuck in their own echo chamber of their mind. But that's kind of like my enders as I go like, you know what it's passion bedtime so i'm taking a nap go to bed like i'll just put stuff like that out there and people get pissed but i don't i don't let people walk away and and stomp all over the internet like like child giving tantrums well
1: you know i welcome comments i welcome engagement i want to hear from you guys if you guys are taking away something from this uh this episode you know put it in the comments you know let me know um because i think we're in a we're living in an age where a lot of people are hiding behind their comments you know and and I don't think we should hide. I think it's, we should create discussion. You know, that, that that's what I'm all about. Um, So, yeah, but sometimes it is tough. It's like, you know, and I, I actually offer compassion for people who troll. Cause I don't think trolling is the way to go. I think
0: it's like contribute, right. Contribute to the um, conversation. Yeah. You know, I, and, and the thing is some of the comments are true and if they're true, I'll tell them I'm wrong. Uh-huh, I'll do that for sure. I'm not about to just got to argue for no reason. It's not an ego thing. But you're not going to come out here and just do something off the wall you're wrong about and then be getting away with it. Yeah. I don't think people should do that. <clears throat> but yeah, there are people that 100% troll. And there's some people that have viable, genuine responses. And I'll take that. I will take the hit because I also want people to know I'm not perfect. I don't see myself as perfect. But I see myself as desiring to get better, which yeah. most people don't, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. And and likewise. And, you know, let's let's actually I just made a comment on your I.G. the other day because I asked you about uh, the difference. And I'm going to ask you about it right now, actually. What's the yeah. difference between self-awareness and self-realization?
0: Oh, that's you were the one that asked. That That was, was me. me. <laughs> I had no idea. See, I comment. I told you I do. Yeah, you did. You and replied. I believe my response to you was I can be aware. Uh, I can be aware there's a lot of problems in my life, but I may not realize that they're me. Right. So, so I could be aware of a situation hundred percent, but not realize that the reason people were laughing is like, I got toilet a paper hand on my back, you know, like there may be something there, but so we can have this awareness of a situation and be in it. But the self-realization is different. It's, it's an understanding of yourself in the situation I feel. And so the, the realization for me was like, I was a common denominator in all of my problems. I was aware that I was broke. I had self-awareness saying, I've got no money. My marriage isn't here. I'm not in good shape. I was self-aware of the situation, but I didn't have a self-realization of like how I was in tune with all of that, how I was a, a person either allowed these problems or created these problems, right? That realization is this aha moment of like, oh, damn. And then you now have a choice of do I do something or not do something? And that's another you know step in the direction. But I feel like awareness is like you can be fully aware of the situation, but not realize that it's you. Hmm. And carry that a little
1: further. When I, when I ask you about this next thing, which is I've heard you speak about
0: the tree versus the fruit. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good one. I did that on accident, by the way, and it made it into my book. So I don't know. So I have this brain where I try to teach things in metaphors and I Mm -hmm. don't prepare the metaphors. I just start talking and it comes out. And it's the more I've done it, the better I've gotten at it. But at one point in a podcast a few years back, I was trying to get people to get the idea of identity and, and like, like people were always like football and, and I was like, it's a fruit of your labor. And I was like, fruit, fruit of your labor. It's kind of like this, like fruit on a tree, right? Cause there's fruits on a tree. And so essentially like you're the fruit. And when the fruit falls off the tree, like football fell off the tree, I lost that. You leave the military. It's a fruit falling off the tree. Cause you're the fruit and this fruit rolls around on the ground and it, it can last for a little bit. You feel good for a little bit. Chess can be up high, but eventually that fruit rots. And when it feels rotten, you feel rotten because you can't do that anymore. And that's how I felt with football. What happens if you're only focused on the fruit, you lose sight of the truth. The truth is you've never been the fruit. You've always been the tree. And when you were so focused on that fruit, you lost sight of the tree and the rest of the fruit. You didn't water it, didn't give it sun, didn't prune the branches. And so all the rest of your fruit died. So when I was focused on football and it disappeared, well, it makes sense that I was so focused on that, my marriage fruit fell apart parenting fruit fell apart, fitness fruit fell apart, right? They all died because the tree was dying. And what I did is go, oh, I'm not the fruit. I'm the tree and the tree produced the fruit. Well, if I go back and take care of the tree, I can produce sweeter and more abundant fruit. And that's what I did in life. So like there was an awareness of the fruit off the tree, but a lack of realization that I was the tree. Mm -hmm. And once I saw that, I could make changes and put myself in better soil and and prune the branches of the people that didn't belong around, right? So the fruit that I was creating was better fruit like it is now. That's kind of how I look at those little connections. Really like that. I really like that. And then,
1: you know, I know we're coming up on time here, but the last thing I want to ask you about is carry that tree metaphor to this idea of manifesting, right? Because I think most of us want to manifest some great fruit. Right. Whether yeah. it's in finances or relationships or, you know, athletics, whatever it may be. Right. We want to manifest the, the grapefruit. Right. Um,
0: yeah. But like the world. Yeah.
1: It's it's I, uh, it's kind of a keyword lately
0: manifest. Right. But I, I think about I, it, man, I don't know, man. Well, yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. What does that mean? Part of me, I get the concept. I don't know if I believe in it thoroughly because okay. manifestation, when you think of the words like to make it just come to be. Right. And I don't think anything just comes to be, man. I think you intentionally create something. Nobody accidentally stumbles into a million dollars, right? You, you do stuff for it. Now you can say manifest, but I think it's the way that a weak mind is must say it's real. A weak mind makes sense of a person who gritted it out to get the success. Interesting. Right. And, and then people get it and they go, I manifested this. Yeah. You could say it now because you've normalized the amount of hard work it was, but when you were first building that, that was a manifestation. That was work. That was work on yourself. That was work. On, like So I can say I manifested my marriage back together after three years. Do you know what I had to do to manifest that, dude? Hmm. What I had to do it myself, what I did apologize for, what I had to work on for me, the conversation I had to have, the apologies I had to make, the things that had cut off from my life, the, the missing out, the sacrifice. Like that wasn't manifestation. That was work. But then when you get to it and now you've been doing it for a year and a half and it feels much smoother, it's like, oh, yeah, I feel good. And I manifested that. Like, no, I worked for that, you know? And, and so I get that, but I think there's this desire to tap into the part of the mind that wants ease. Cause we do as, as humans, we want this ease. That's why we have DoorDash and click a button and someone ties your shoe, right? All this stuff is there. And I think the idea of manifestation feels like an easier, lighter work. And okay. I don't think, I don't know the last time I saw LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Tom Brady, Serena Williams go, like, I manifested this championship. <laughs> you know, that's not how it worked. And so if you look at that simple logic, dude, like, yes, things can come to pass in our life because I think what it really turns into is we start getting to this point of being so locked in on it at a subconscious level that we're moving towards it in every action without even consciously paying attention to it anymore. Like if I'm a person who wants to get in great shape, I stop even thinking about the fact that I want this food. I just, I'm, I'm starting to enjoy the healthy food. I don't care about the fatty food anymore, right? And so you start, it makes it easier and you flow into it. Now it becomes a rhythmic flow to what you're doing and becomes an effortless effort. But I, I, yeah, I don't think it's like this, this manifestation in a sense of like, I sat there one day and I thought about it. And then six years later, look, here it is. If I bet if I go in those six years, a lot of tears, a lot of money lost, time lost, sacrifice, arguments, cutting people off. Oh, there's some yeah, interesting stuff in there. But I don't know if we call every bit of that manifestation.
1: No, I mean, I really appreciate that perspective. What I would say to that is, you know, I think it's great to have a, a visual of where you want to go. Hell right? Yeah, and yeah. then you can you kind of work go. backwards, you know, and I, I think that's part mm-hmm. of manifestation. and I, And I definitely think that's a huge part of success, because if you don't have that, then you're kind of a boat without a rudder. You gotta yeah, have a direction, yeah. right?
0: Oh, that, that's I'm not taking that at all away from it. Yeah. In fact, I think you your brain needs to attach to it because we've all like thought right. about like the car you want, the house you want. Right, right, right. You, you attach to that thing at, at like a palpable. I when I was a kid, I wanted these uh these rollerblades. They were they were like what were they? They were like Rosie Streets or something. I saw a picture in the newspaper. I I want these rollerblades. I could, I could picture myself wearing them. I could see other kids wearing them, the smell of them. I go to the store and smell the box, you know, like I saw this and I, so my brain, it wanted it. And now everything that I was doing conscious and subconscious was working towards that. Yeah. Still work. Right. 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 I ended up getting them. I was rollerblading, my homies doing my thing. Right. But it was a paper route every day, getting up and going to the thing and earning the money for it. And there's work involved, but I think it feels lighter to say manifestation, but there's, you have to have those same traits. You've got to be locked in on it.
1: Yeah. And I just, I think that's a big part of identity shifting as well. When, you know, when Mm -hmm. I really think about that phrase that, that, you know, that, that you're all about, right. I think it's like take being an NFL player, for example, right. I -hmm. want to be an NFL player. Well, I think, you know, a lot of inspired athletes can take that goal and that identity as a goal and work backwards and do the work. What I'm trying to put forth is like to say that that's that can be relatable to anyone, no matter yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. Right. You see the fruits over there. You can identify that that's where you want to go and then work 100%. backwards and then go through the tree yes. trimming and get, you know, like yeah. take care of that tree. I agree.
0: You have to. That's, that's, that's literally how it has to be. Something has to guide your, your direction. Oh, I agree there. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Anthony, dude, this has been awesome. I really appreciate
1: you. I want you to uh, take a take a minute or so and just promote all your stuff, man. Books, oh, man, I, podcasts, I all that stuff.
0: I don't need a minute just to go to AnthonyTrucks on Instagram. It's, everything you may want to find will be there if you want to find it. Love it, man. I love
1: it. Um, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you for the fans and the audience. Thanks for being with us this whole time. Please go check out Anthony's stuff. And, uh, Anthony, don't go anywhere. Everyone else... Peace and blessings, y'all. Stay inspired.